Good morning, church. Can you hear me? Before we dismiss the children, I just want to, can we stand together and pray as a, as a church before we dismiss the children? Amen. How many appreciate prayer? Mm, a, third, a third of you. How many appreciate prayer? Amen. Praise God. Let's pray. Bow your heads. Children, we're going to pray together, okay? Father, good morning, good morning, good morning. Father, we love you and we praise you. And we thank you so much for this blessed day that you have given to us. Thank you so much for the provisions. Thank you so much, Lord God, for your bounty. Thank you so much for your love, for your grace, your mercy. Father, the list is endless. Thank you so much for ministering to us in a way that only you can. Thank you so much for making it possible for us to have life today. Not just regular life, but the abundant life that you promised us in John 10.10. It's an abundance that we, we have discovered in Christ Jesus. It's a glory we have discovered in Christ Jesus. A wonderful salvation in Christ Jesus. We thank you so much for your unconditional love. We thank you so much for this morning, for this service, for the fact that we serve a living God, a risen Savior, an almighty God. In spite of what we're going through, in spite of what we're experiencing, in spite of the debt, the health issues, and all those other things, Lord God, that complicate life. Today I celebrate the thought, Lord God, that I'm serving a living Savior, an almighty God. And how often, Heavenly Father, do we lose sight of that? It happens because of these physical limitations that we are seemingly bound to. I'm thankful today that we serve a risen Savior. And today, that's why I celebrate this day. And I thank you, Lord God, and I pray that you may give me the wisdom to contain this thing. Because I don't want to come across in the wrong way to anybody here. Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm just simply excited because I'm in love with you. I know every, every facet of my being, every fiber, every cell, every atom within me screams thanksgiving, Lord God. Because I know that I serve a risen Savior. And I'm excited today because of that. Father, bless the children as they go. We thank you so much for them. And we pray your blessings on this time where we get into your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name and God's people say, Amen. Amen. Children are dismissed. I drink from this bottle and I feel like I'm riding my bike. <clears throat> okay, nice. We're up. I was waiting for that. So this is this is a a sermon series that we began last week and it's a sermon series a sermon series that actually places a premium emphasis on the word of god how many love the word of god say amen i don't know about you but i'm in love with the word of god 
And it's actually important to actually recognize the importance of God's word in our lives and not just take it for granted. How easy it is with life's, life's complexities to dismiss or ignorantly denounce the importance of the word of God in our lives. And we often find ourselves being guilty of that very thing. It is very important for you and I as God's people to make sure that our lives are always rooted and grounded in what God has to say in his word. And the reason why I emphasize it in that way is because you're going to learn from this one particular message today, specifically next Sunday's message. Don't even call me this week. It's going to be complicated. I'm, I'm, I'm unpacking some things that I'm trying to make sense of myself that God is giving me in my spirit. Um, and it's going to be a wonderful task to prepare this coming week for, for next Sunday. Um, in fact, I'm going to go ahead and give you the title in advance. Isms, Sophies, and Ologies. And it has to do with the various voices that exist in this world that actually vie for our attention. And when we listen to those voices, what becomes of us as believers? What becomes of us as children of God when we lend our ears, if you will, to that sort of thing? We are swayed away from the principles of the Word of God. I'm not addressing an issue of losing salvation. That's not what I'm getting at. Um, neither is that the case with today's message. But we do, in fact, become influenced by the voices of this world. In the same way that if you invite me to your home to eat a good home-cooked meal and I'm famished, in the same way that that meal is capable of building me up in the body, the Word of God builds us up when we get into it. Isn't that right? The Word of God is capable of doing extraordinary things in our lives. And that, that type of growth, that development that I'm, that I'm referring to is just not possible outside the Word of God. You and I were created to live for God. Yes? Amen? We were created to worship God. In what way can we actually fulfill that outside of the Word of God? Can we actually bring about that fulfillment in our lives outside of the, the truth of the Word of God? In no way, shape, or form. And this is the reason why in so many places of this world, in so many churches even, there are tens of millions of believers in this world today that are not truly experiencing the abundance that God has promised us in His Word because we are not in His Word. We lend ourselves over to the philosophies of this world. We're going to discover some of those things here today in a general sense. Next week, we're going to be a little more specific. So... I love this one particular word. The theme or the signature passage for the sermon series is found. You don't have to turn in your Bibles there. I'm going to read it to you. It's found in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. It actually reads, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God or the woman of God may be perfect, thoroughly equipped for all good works. Amen, somebody. I, I, I love, 
I love that particular passage. Now, let's, let's just review on some of the things that we talked about last week. We talked about how God actually, through the Word of God, He draws us to Himself. And we used a... a, a, a let, me, let me see your hands if you were here last week, last Sunday. You were here last Sunday. So we, we used a, a peculiar passage to place an emphasis on what God does in our lives through His Word. And we talked about the woman that was actually caught in the act of adultery. And what almost became of her life as a result of that one particular sin. Jesus Christ actually drew the masses to that particular, that, that, that scenario that was unfolding in that particular passage, John chapter 8. He was drawing the masses to him, and he did that by way of his word. And also through his word, he actually exposed the sin in their lives. And I think that's extremely important. Because God is constantly drawing people to himself. The Bible says, and we talked about this in Proverbs 1.20, it says that wisdom cries out in the streets. Wisdom cries out in the marketplaces, at the entrance and exits of the city gates. The, the, the point is that God is always communicating with mankind. We are just not always listening. But God is always communicating with us as mankind. Why? Because He wants to transform our lives. He wants to revolutionize our lives. He doesn't want to necessarily radicalize our lives in that natural sense. But he wants to do so in a spiritual sense. Not in some mystic, sensationalist way. But he wants our undivided attention. Because he wants to minister to us in the way that only he can. Now, I don't know about you, but I need God in that way. Let me see. Join me. Anybody. Anybody join me. I need God in that way. I need him. I need him. And then finally... We talked about last week how God actually transforms our lives through His Word, through His voice. And He enables us to take ownership of the Word of God. I love that. The Word is appropriate. We can, he wants us to take ownership of His Word because that's when the rubber meets the road, if you will. The nitty-gritty, the whole enchilada. What else? You can, the, the, the list is endless, right? God does wonderful things in our lives when we take ownership of His Word. And I love that about the Lord. Today, we are going to consider what becomes of our lives when we fail to live out this gospel truth. I call it a crisis. There's a crisis that is actually taking place in the church today. It may not necessarily apply to this one particular church. And I may not be saying it because of you, but I am indeed saying it to you. There's a crisis that's taking place in the body of Christ today. There's a falling away, if you will. I'm not addressing, as I said already, an issue of salvation. I'm talking about a devotion, a display from you and I as believers today. So that when we're out there, out and about, we're handling life's affairs. We are constantly on display so that mankind can see the Christ in us. But the question is, is he able to see the Christ in us? Are we displaying the fruit of Christianity in and through our lives? When people look at you 
Can they see Jesus? When people look at you, do they leave with the impression there's something different about her? There's something different about him. He doesn't believe as I believe. He didn't say so, but I can, I can feel it in him, coming through him, coming through her. Are you impacting the lives around you? Family members, especially. Friends, classmates, etc. The list is endless. God wants to use us, but he has to transform us first. And that's why we are placing an emphasis on the word of God. Before I go on to the next slide, I want to I want to just mention something here. Perhaps give you an encouragement to pick up a DVD. You're not going to find it in the stores any place, but you'll find it online. Write this down. It's called cultural Marxism. Cultural Marxism. I saw it on a website, uh, um, um, a blog site that I that I. I read a lot of articles on. It's called newswithviews.com. It's a conservative news source online. And a lot of wonderful pastors and ministers are, 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 are you know, placing their, some articles, wonderful articles in there. And there was an offer being made one day. And the video is titled Cultural Marxism. And in that video, it actually, in a very comprehensive way, it actually presents the principles that I'm trying to share with you here today. It places a premium emphasis on the Word of God because we are either going to yield our lives to the principles of the Word of God or, or by default we will yield our lives to the philosophies of this world, to the wisdom of this world. And today we're going to get into a passage. Turn your Bibles, please, to um, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to be verse, read verses 1 through 8. And Paul addresses this very thing. Now listen to me for a moment. Look at me. Let me have your eyes for a moment. Paul was addressing the crisis that we are addressing today. He was doing it 2,000 plus years ago. I don't know how far back we go, right? But he was addressing it because he, this, this, this epistle, this one particular letter, the Corinthians, first and second Corinthians was written to the Corinthians, right? They were Greeks, if you will. And, and they were influenced by the philosophies that existed back then in so many ways. And as a result, they were deviating from the principles of the Word of God. We're going to get into some of those things here today. But it wasn't only this passage is not, wasn't just relevant to them then. This passage is relevant for you and I. It was important for Paul to address some of these things back then. But how many of you would agree with me that it's even more important for you and I today to heed the principles from this one particular letter today in our life? It's more important today. Today we have perhaps 7.7 billion people on the planet today. That's a whole lot of people. The world was small back then compared to the world, the size of the world today. But not only so, but Greek mythology and that methodology, the systematics and the measurement tools that we use today in our academic system started back then. They created Aristotle and Socrates and, and Plato and so many of those other men. They were responsible 
for the philosophy that governs our lives today in more ways than you and I could ever imagine. That's the theme of this sermon series. You and I have to make a distinction between philosophy and faith. You do know there is a distinction between the two, right? There's a huge distinction. Let's read this passage. 1 Corinthians 2, 1-8. through When I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. For I decided that while I was with you, I will forget everything except Jesus Christ. Make note of that in your mind. I will forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. I came to you in weakness. In other words, he humbled himself. Timid and trembling, meekful. And my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so that you can trust not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. Yet when I am among mature believers, I do speak with words of wisdom, but not the kind of wisdom that belongs to this world or to the rulers of this world who are soon... Did I just skip? Did I just jump verses? Let me read that again. I was in denial there for a moment. I really didn't want to have to put these things on my face. <laughs> Lord have mercy. You pray. That's not good. You're laughing at me. <laughs> Yet when I am among mature believers, I do speak with words of wisdom, but not the kind of wisdom that belongs to this world or to the rulers of this world who are soon forgotten. No, the wisdom we speak, speak of is the mystery of God. His plan that was previously hidden, even though he made it for our ultimate glory before the world began. But the rulers of this world have not understood it. If they had, they would not have crucified our glorious Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Old Corinth was a town that was actually nestled in south-central Greece. It's actually located 50 miles from, from Athens, Greece. Did you know that? And it was made up primarily of Greeks. Hence the reason why Paul wrote these epistles in the Greek. Even though we understand that the entire New Testament was written in the Greek. But because Corinth was actually in Greece itself, it was actually... Mostly, <clears throat> mostly populated by Greeks, uh, but it was a, although it was a region that was in fact dominated by the Romans because the Romans were the ones who were in power at the time. And they were actually, if you do a little simple research, you find that there were many colonies in that, in that one particular region. But Corinth was also, was also a hotbed of paganism. These are some of the things that Paul was addressing. If you read through the book of Acts, for example, you, you, you discover wonderful things about how the power of God through the apostles actually, actually served to, 
to convince the people of not just God's existence and God's reality and the importance of the word of God as we know it today, but that's, that they had to realize, make a distinction between God and the Satan. Satanism or, the, or the, 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 the paganism that they were extremely involved in. The Greeks and the Romans actually worshipped many gods and goddesses in Corinth. I looked that up this past week and I was astounded by the discoveries that I was actually able to make. And, and also the one thing that was extremely active in Corinth was what's referred to as imperial cult. How many ever heard of that? imperial cult, which actually refers to the worship of emperors. The emperors, the Greek emperors, were actually worshipped as gods. Crazy enough, right? Now, concerning the church of Corinth, I'm going to read a passage to you because I want you to take note that the church of Corinth was actually blessed in many ways. How many, how many know that? The church of Corinth was blessed in many ways. Just flip over in your Bible one chapter to chapter 1. Look with me to verses 4 through 8. I want you to see this for yourself. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given to you by Jesus Christ, that in everything you are enriched by Him. <clears throat> I mean, there you go. That in everything you are enriched by him, in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come behind in no gift. You notice what it said there. You come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you Unto the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. That was extremely important to read. We're not talking about a people that were unsaved. We're talking about a people that were, in fact, saved. And that God was amazingly at work in their, uh, in, in their lives. So much so that they were behind, quote, in no gift. The Holy Spirit was moving in their lives. The Holy Spirit was operating mightily in their lives. They were witnessing miracles on a regular basis. Not just in their personal lives, but, but as, the, as the apostles and the, the ministers and the, 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 the disciples were going out. And the Christians, they were moving out of Corinth. God was confirming His Word on a regular basis. So that's a glorious thing. But, but notice how in the... In the next particular passage that I'm going to read to you, Paul's tone actually changes a little bit. Tell me really quickly, somebody, am I to point this in a particular area or just simply click it? Okay, point it towards one of these things, right? All right. No, nobody's helping me. All right. I, I tell you, you guys have abandoned me, man. So like that. All right, cool. So, so look with me again, please. Romans, I mean, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 11 through 13. I, I want you to hear this. Bear with me as we unpack this, please. These, these passages that I'm reading to you now are extremely 
important. The first one I read to you has to do with this wonderful thing that God is doing in their lives. And then Paul's tone changes. Look what he says to them in verses 11 through 13, chapter 1. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, quote, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or Peter, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Look at me. Paul was addressing something extremely important. They were swaying in the faith. The Holy Spirit was working mightily in their lives. But there's a division. There's a crisis that's taking place in the church. Some were declaring themselves to be followers of Peter, others followers of Paul, other followers of Apollos, and so on and so forth. And as a result, there were quarrels, there were fights, debates that was actually taking place in the church. Divisions that were actually taking place in the church. How so? Because they were mishandling the Word of God. They were mishandling the word of God, and they resorted to worldly wisdom and became divided, a divided church. Any church that wants to stay closely knit together has to be rooted and grounded in one particular standard, not multiple standards, but one standard. This church of Norwalk and the, and, and the church of Christ in general ought to be rooted and grounded in the importance, in the wonderful teachings of the Word of God. And not by some systematic, not by some teaching. Because when we place an emphasis on something outside of the Word of God, we thus divide ourselves accordingly. That's what was happening in the church of Corinth. And Paul, filled with the anointing of the Holy Spirit, saw fit to address this dilemma that was taking place. In the church. Now consider this, because Paul's tone continues uh, this reprimand, this exhortation, if you will. It actually continues on um, in this one particular passage that we're reading. He exhorts them because he had clearly, because they had clearly gotten off track. Their faith was no longer as rooted in Christ as they supposed. So the text that we wrote, that we read. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. Verses 1 through 4, listen to this. He, Paul makes up his mind that he was going to allow the power of the Holy Spirit to confirm both the message of the cross and his ministry. So in other words, he didn't, he didn't approach them with these, this lofty eloquence, this educated speech. We know, if you know anything about Paul, he was indeed educated. A Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was a very educated man and capable of eloquent speech. And yet he determined in himself, verses 1 through 4, that he was not going to use that. He denounced all of that stuff. And he he made up his mind that he was going to allow God to speak. For the Holy Spirit to, to validate the word of God that was coming out of his mouth. In a very simple way. Verses 6 through 8. 
he differentiates between the wisdom of this world and the wisdom of God and makes it makes it clear so that he could so that they could be understood by the power of the spirit of God. Let me let me share this with you. The the Greeks were traditionally skeptics. I looked up that Greek word and the Greek word for skeptics is skepsis. Skepsis. And it actually means they were investigators of knowledge. Investigators of knowledge. It doesn't mean that they did not necessarily believe in the existence of God. Because if you read through the book of Acts, you actually find there was an altar dedicated to the unknown God. I'm not saying that was to Corinth in particular, but you know, they, they acknowledge so many different philosophies, including the teachings of the Word of God. But what they did was they mixed it all together. And that's a problem because we cannot do that with the Word of God. So in verses 9 through 10, he acknowledges that the, that the root source of all true wisdom in our lives is or ought to be the Spirit of God. And the point being that in order for you and I to... to even understand the word of God. How many know that the word of God is important in our lives? But in order to understand it, we require the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's the reason why unbelievers, when they dabble or delve into the Holy Scriptures, they cannot understand it. And they actually mishandle it and create problems for you and I who actually can indeed understand it. it the Holy Spirit is necessary in our, ni- in our lives in order to understand the Word of God. And Paul continues on in the letter by referring to the Corinthians as carnal believers. He referred to them as carnal believers. And again, it doesn't mean that they were unsaved. Quite to the contrary. It actually refers to the fact that because they were saved, but not yielding their total dependence upon Christ or their total dependence upon the Holy Scriptures, their, 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 their sinful nature was constantly manifesting itself through them. It's the reason why there were fights and quarrels and, and all sorts of things like that happening in the church, and the church actually split, which was a sad state. Read with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 1 through 4. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 4. And it says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able, for you are still Carnal or fleshly, your version may read. For, the, for where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Are you not carnal? Point number one. As you see up on the screen, there was a deviation from Christ that was actually taking place. In other words, there was a... made up my mind that next time somebody else out there is going to be handling this. Sectarianism. 
was actually alive and well in the church. It accounts for the struggle that they were actually experiencing. There were divisions in the church as a result. Look at verse 12 in chapter 1. Each one of you is saying, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. That, that intuition, that mindset, that philosophy that they were allowing themselves to be governed by created in them a naturalistic mindset that allowed them to justify the sectarianism that was taking place in their midst, in their church. And the result is they were drifting away from the fundamental truth of Christianity, who is Jesus Christ. Look with me to 1 Corinthians 1.13. We're going to stay in the Bible today. Simply, has Christ been divided? Paul asks. Has Christ been divided? Look at 3.1, 1 Corinthians 3.11, we were just there. But it, it reads, For no man can lay a foundation other than the one that is laid, who is... Jesus Christ. The Corinthians started off well. They were pagans. The gospel was preached. It revolutionized their lives. They realized they needed Jesus Christ in their lives principally because they couldn't deny the miracles that were taking place in their midst. Listen, I will lend myself over to any idea if it's confirmed by miracles. And the wonderful, th wonderful biblical truth is that only Jesus Christ can perform genuine, authentic miracles. That's why I serve him today. And I hope that's why you serve him as well. Because you've been convinced that Jesus Christ is indeed the son of the almighty living God. Amen. The Corinthians started off well. But because of the influence, we're going to talk about that a little um, comprehensively next week. Because of the, the influence, the philosophies, the ideologies that existed back then, those, those voices that they gave themselves over to, they were sort of drifting away from the fundamental truth of Christianity, who is Jesus Christ. And they allowed for this division to take place. In the church, are we immune to this sort of activity today? Are we immune to it? Listen to this. Did you know that in Christianity, in Christendom today, there is a wide range of varying beliefs in the church, including a wide range of doctrinal beliefs that exist in the church? And as a result... For these past hundreds of years, the church has been splitting on a regular basis. We are splitting on a regular basis. And one of the reasons is because, listen, and I'm not specific in any way, and it may not necessarily apply to this church, but listen to it nonetheless. One of the reasons this split, these divisions, these factions, this crisis that's taking place in Christianity today, it's because we divide ourselves relative to the teachings of the theologians we favor 
the most. I believe in so-and-so's ministry. I'm following him. You don't believe in so-and-so's ministry. You're following somebody else. And we have, we have divided ourselves relative to the, the, the theological position of these mega pastors that exist in the world today. It's a crisis. And it is classical sectarianism. The solution is we need to look to Jesus Christ as the, as the author and finisher of our faith and become less sensitive to the declarations that are coming out of the mouths of some of these speakers, some of these preachers, and develop, allow through the, the gifting of the Holy Spirit to develop within us a sensitivity to gospel truth. We have to get back to the basics, Christ and Him crucified. Point number two, the gospel is the power of God. Look at chapter 2, verse 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5. The gospel is the power of God. And it reads simply, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the wisdom of God. Paul the Apostle was admonishing them. He was reprimanding them. He was exhorting them. He says, listen, I didn't come to you with this eloquent speech. I came to you in, in humility, in meekness, allowing the Holy Spirit himself to confirm the gospel in your lives so that you can understand the need for your faith to be rooted and grounded only in the substance of the word of God and not in the philosophies of this world. How important is that in our lives? He was seeking to convince the Corinthians of that fact. And you and I, somehow, some way, we have to come to this place, this, this developmental place. Have this disposition about us, if you will. Where you and I today are able to make a distinction between the philosophies of this world um, and from gospel, the philosophies of this world and gospel truth. Can you, as a child of God, standing on your own, can you make a distinction between philosophy and gospel truth? We need to get there. We have to get there to a place. Why? Because philosophy, when we inject, when we appropriate philosophy, systematics, not all, because there are many benefits to philosophy. Many. It gives us order in many ways. And we're supposed to be about that, right? But... Listen to this, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm pausing because I want to say it the right way. When you take the wisdom of this world and you bring it into the church and you mix it with gospel truth, it sterilizes the Word of God. Not as God is declaring it to us, but it sterilizes the Word of God in us. It brings about a compromise that makes it difficult for you and I to live out the will of God in our lives. The will of God is clear to me today because I keep, I stay in the truth of the word of God. I read some other material from time to time, but I make sure that as a child of God, my life is rooted and grounded in the word of God and not the substance, the education that I'm receiving from other materials. Not the other way around. There's, a, there's an inversion that's taking place in the body of Christ today. Again, maybe not here in this church, right? But it's taking place nonetheless. And I know you know what I'm talking about. 
I know that you know what I'm talking about. And we are losing sight of the importance of the Word of God in our lives. The gospel within us is being sterilized by the wisdom of this world. Let me give you this illustration. I was sitting under a pastor one time for a season. I think it was three years. Sitting under a Baptist pastor one time. And he was extremely systematic. Extremely methodical. He was utilizing a lot of the wisdom of this world to sort of package the gospel as he was delivering it to us. And guess what happened in the end? In the end, those of us who sat underneath him resembled him and not Christ. Did you get it? We resembled him in the end and not Christ. There was no fundamental change taking place in my life. I became extremely acquainted with the isms of this world, with the sophies and theologies of this world. I looked just like him. I thought like him. I carried myself as a Christian just like him. But I was still struggling in secret with all the sins that afflicted my life during that time. But when I denounced that sort of thing and I gave myself over immersing myself with the truth of the gospel, it revolutionized my life. I was wrestling with it. Why isn't there change in my life taking place? And I almost got to the point where I had to accept it for what it was. Christianity wasn't doing for me what it was doing for many others. That's not true. The gospel works. Consider this verse. This verse. For example, Romans 1.16. You don't have to turn there. Paul the Apostle was making this declaration to the Romans. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel is the power of God. You want revolution? You want change in your life? Jesus is the answer. His word of God is the solution. How about this one particular verse? In John 8.32, he was talking to his disciples. He was talking to the crowd that was on hand. He was talking to the, 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 the Pharisees and the Sadducees that were on hand. In John 8.32, it says, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. To know is the operative term in that verse. And the Greek word for know is, I'm going to mess this up, I'm sure. Ginosko. And it means to have complete personal knowledge of, to understand, as opposed to simply being acquainted with. To have complete and personal knowledge of. And the term free in that verse, the Greek word is eleutherao. And it means to liberate, to exempt from moral, ceremonial, or mortal liability. To deliver or make one free. Christianity is distinct from any other religion. Because it's not about becoming acquainted with some ideology or some philosophy. It's about becoming acquainted with, in a very intimate way, with an individual. With Jesus Christ himself. It's not about a voice. It's about a man. A God-man. A divine man. It's about the Son of God and living according to His Word and what His Word is capable of doing in your life and in mine when we take ownership of it. And the Corinthians, they were struggling with this. 
because they sought to mix philosophy with truth. And only the truth, only the gospel possesses the capacity or the ability to transform our lives. How many of you, don't answer, but just think about it. How many of you have sought, before you became a Christian, you tried to apply yourself to some ideology outside of Christianity? Because you thought somehow, some way, that it could make a difference in your life. But it didn't work. And it's the reason why you're sitting here today. Point number three, spiritual discernment is required in our lives. Verses six through eight in the text this morning, first Corinthians chapter two, verses six through eight. Paul was making a distinction between those capable of understanding truth from those who were not able to do so. And he was pointing out in verse 6 that the mature was able to understand the word of God and not the immature. I, I wrestled with that in a particular version. What in the world does that mean? Does he talking about those who have 5, 10, 15 years as Christians? Only then will I be able to understand the word of God? No. The, the, the Greek word for mature in that passage is teleos. And it, and it means having come to the end of oneself and made complete in Christ. Having come to the end of ourselves, being made complete in Christ Jesus. So it's about this conversion, this regeneration that takes place inside of us when we accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. He brings about this new birth within us. And because of the Holy Spirit, we, we, we get to this wonderful place where we can understand the mysteries of the Word of God. The Bible indeed was written for the believer and not the unbeliever. That's why the unbeliever, who doesn't have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, cannot understand the Word of God. The philosopher is always striving to know, to understand but the mature, the believer, the Christian, the person who has been born again, he has resorted to depend only on the Holy Spirit for truth. That's you and I. Do not strive to know, to understand everything that exists in the world. Don't give yourself over to that sort of thing. Strive to know him who is the author and the finisher of your faith. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says, For the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned or spiritually understood, examined or determined. One version actually reads, spiritually appraised. The only way you and I can understand the Word of God is to have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us. Because He reveals it to us. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the Word of God is active and alive. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. In other words, the Word of God will slice you, it will dice you, it will reveal you to you, it will reveal God to you, and it enables us to become believers, children of God. The Word of God is powerful. It's active. It's, it has life in and of itself. It's inherently 
alive. Here's an illustration, something simple. Have you ever wondered why God prevented Adam and Eve from accessing the tree of life after they sinned against him? Have you ever thought about that? I'm sure you have at some point. Because fellowship with God always precedes wisdom and life. Fellowship with God always precedes. Can you imagine the condition of mankind today? Had God given Adam and Eve access to the tree of life? In chapter 3 of the book of Genesis, they sinned against God. Sin manifested itself. They took on this sinful nature. Can you imagine had they had access to the tree of life, living this side of heaven forever in a sinful state? Can you imagine what the world would look like today if that were the case? The same principle applies to you and I when we sit down to read, a word, read the Bible. The unbeliever sits down to read the Word of God and doesn't understand it because, because of the Holy Spirit factor. There's no regeneration. There's no salvation. God does not give mankind the ability to glean Wisdom from his word without being in fellowship with him. Does that make sense? You, you need to be saved in order to understand the word of God. <clears throat> Let's summarize. <clears throat> the, first, the first point I presented to you is a deviation from Christ. A deviation from Christ. The Corinthians started off well. The Holy Spirit was moving in their lives in a very mighty way, in a special way. Paul the Apostle made this statement, you are lacking in no gift. Phenomenal things were taking place. But because of the influence of philosophy, if you read the book, you'll see it clearly. I just know that I wasn't going to have enough time to make it all clear to you in that way. Read the book of Corinthians, read the book of Acts, and you'll, you'll see what things these people struggled with. They tried to incorporate the philosophies of the world into the church, and they ended up being governed by these philosophies and slipping away, drifting away from the fundamental truth of Christianity, who is Jesus Christ. And the second point is, The gospel is the power of God. Paul was trying to get them to understand that they had to come back to Christ. And secondly, he was trying to get them to understand that the truth of the gospel is paramount. That the truth of the gospel should be the reason or the basis for which we live out our lives. The fundamental driving force in our lives has to be the truth of the word of God. How many live life in that way? How many of you have the word of God as the fundamental truth in your life? I hope that is the case with every single one. I just, by the way, just found out why this wasn't working. There's a circle in the middle. And I'm sort of trying to push on that circle left and right. Instead of the button to the right of it. Thanks a lot, Dave. Pushing on the circle, the center. 
Lord have mercy. <clears throat> and we talked about spiritual discernment. How often do you sit down to read the Word of God and wrestle with trying to understand it? How often do you perhaps <clears throat> run into somebody who's perhaps a new believer and is trying to understand a concept, a thought, a subject in the Word of God? And for whatever reason, the individual is unable to understand. First of all, the Word of God is alive, right? So he's not going to give us all of its substance right away. You're going to read a passage today and God is going to speak to you. You're going to read that passage tomorrow and God is going to speak to you again, right? And not because the meaning of the passage changes, because it's one interpretation to the passage, right? But because our circumstances are constantly changing. Therefore, God is going to speak to our circumstance through his word a little differently on a daily basis. We change. And then when we're appropriating and we're growing and we're developing in the faith, it begins to unfold its substance in our lives. This, this wonderful development begins to unfold in our lives in the same way that we, when mommy and daddy used to nurse us with a bottle when we were infants. Eventually, we had to put aside the bottle and grab some pudding or some some soft food. And then eventually that wasn't enough, right? We need the steak and potatoes of the Word of God in our lives. If you want to understand the Word of God, you have to, you have to lean upon Christ for the understanding. Depend upon the Holy Spirit and do not make the mistake of depending upon some systematic in order to understand the Word of God. We do that a lot nowadays. There are more Christians today who depend upon a systematic than those who depend upon the Holy Spirit to reveal the truth of the Word of God. Now, don't misunderstand me. We need, some, we need somebody who's thoroughly mature in the Word of God to assist us in the process. But more often than not, in the body of Christ, we are governing our lives according to a systematic that's, that's Perhaps something inspired by Aristotle or Plato or Socrates or someone like that. We'll get into that a little bit next week. And we fashion our lives according to that rather than the importance, the substance, the gist of the Word of God. In a world filled with so much worldliness... We as Christians must maintain our gaze upon our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we must also determine in our minds and in our hearts to live according to, its, to His infallible Word. Jesus said it best. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, I thank you so much for your word this morning. And Father, I apologize for wrestling with this thing a little bit this morning. <laughs> the pointer threw me off in more ways than I can imagine. But we're going to get this, we're going to get it right. Because you are with us. I thank you so much for your word. Whether I deliberate, delivered it in a way... Yeah, that was clearly understood or not. I thank you so much for it. And I know that you've gifted us with this 
passion and this desire to read the Word of God for ourselves. And I know that your people are going to leave here today. And they're going to read this passage. And they're going to become acquainted with the passage. And you're going to speak into their lives. Father, we need you. We all need you in our lives. Please change us. Continue to help us to understand the importance of the Word of God. Because in these last days, there's a falling away from the faith. Because we are giving ourselves over to voices outside of your own. Father, we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name. God's people say, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. I thank you so much for coming today. And um, I hope... I hope to be able to listen. I think my number, it is, right? My phone number, I believe, is in the bulletin. If, if you should ever need to talk about something, you should never, if, if you should ever need to meet with me, I'm, almost every single day I'm here on the campus. I think from like 10 a.m. to like 3, sometimes 4, I'm here. I hang out here. I love to be here. If, you wanna, if you're not working or you have a day off, um, this week sometime and you want to come over, you want to pray, you want to talk through something, you're wrestling with something, you have a son that's, that's acting up and you need me, to, me and, um, uh, and Vet and Ron to come over and maybe manhandle somebody. Listen, come on over, please, during the week. Come see me. My wife is usually here as well with me, um, as well as Tom and Don is always here. We can't get rid of Don. I think we need to have Don stay away for at least two weeks in a row. Amen. <laughs> Amen. I love you guys. God bless you guys.